Some things change, some remain the same. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is someone, George, we've been friends for, it's got to be 25 years at least now. Yeah, at least 25. And uh, I'm talking about the inimitable George Shea. George, along with his partner and brother, Rich, are the founders of Shea Communications, one of the best PR shops in the land. But George is best known as the impresario and host of what is the most iconic annual event on the American cultural, sports, and holiday calendar. And I'm, of course, talking about the annual Nathan's famous 4th of July hot dog eating contest in Coney Island. And uh, George, I couldn't be happier to have you as our guest right before July 4th. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's it's an honor to be on the uh, to be on the podcast, and and your role in the fourth has been uh, monumental and and helped uh, elevate that contest up to and including this year, which has been a tricky year for for getting everything done. Well, thank you so much for for saying that, and it's been a joy uh, to work with you and Rich all these years. So, George, there were certain names. I want to go back a little bit. And there were certain names in history that uh, if people like you and I don't talk about them, they will be forever lost. So I'd like to start our conversation and ask for your remembrances of a gentleman by the name of Morty Matz. So Morty is now 97. Morty was um, a press agent extraordinaire in the, in the, in the earlier iteration of, of what a press agent was sort of doing stunts and all kinds of crazy stuff in New York City. And, um, you know, he had a sort of a partner, I don't know if you say erstwhile partner, semi-partner, um, Max Rosie. And Max Rosie always represented Nathan's Famous. And Max um, and Morty, you know, uh, created the, the contest in 1972. Morty was a really dynamic um, and still, he's, as I said, he's still alive, he's 97. He was a very dynamic PR guy, former journalist. And they would do all kinds of stunts. Max once put an elephant on water skis uh, to promote Palisades Park in New Jersey. And uh, Morty once um, had a hieroglyphic slab made. And then he had a professor lose the, the forget the slab in a taxi cab and then like put out this major thing, you know, professor loses hieroglyphic slab in a taxi cab. And then um, they had a big, the, the police found it and they had a big press conference and someone translated it and it said, everybody's mummy listens to 1010 wins because 1010 wins was a client. So was the museum where he got the, uh, the professor or whatever. But so he, they were great stunt guys and they did this contest and it was very small. And it was sort of an afterthought even for them and for Nathan's. I mean, it would occur in what was called Schweikert Alley or Schweikert's Alley 
um, to the west of the original Nathan's Famous building. And then I worked with Max on it and with Morty, but it was really, it was, very, very, it was really Max's thing. And then um, Max died in 91 and I took it over. Um, and then when I left to start my own firm in 97, I took the contest with me. But Morty is a, a truly dynamic guy who was a great crisis manager, represented all kinds of indicted um, politicians or politicians who then became indicted. Um, and, uh, you know, so he was uh, a different era of media and uh, he taught me a lot. One thing he taught me was controversy is, is king. And we had a someone cheat one year, and it would have been like 1990, and and it, it just freaked me out that they were cheating. And then Morty got a cop, and he wanted the guy arrested. I'm going, why are you making a big deal out of this? We thought, let's hush this up. He goes, no, that would be great press. So so that was that you know that's when I learned the controversy was the best thing that could ever happen. And wasn't the move where indicted politicians or criminals? the raincoat over the handcuffs was that yes, was that more was that morty's move morty invented when you come out on the perp walk a perp walk is when the uh, da tells all the media that they've arrested someone or they're bringing someone in or whatever just to embarrass them and get press and then they put them in handcuffs and morty would tell his clients to put the raincoat over the handcuffs and just walk as if everything's normal so you're not in a you know, it's like smiling. It's like smiling in a uh, mugshot. It's just a good play. Fantastic. So you take over the contest uh, and we met, I think it was 95 in Schweikert Alley. And that was the era of the first great Japanese eater, Hirofumi Nakajima. And against uh, the great American champion, Ed Crotchy. Right, Ed the and and at that time, it was a 12-minute contest, and the numbers were winning numbers. I remember Mike, the scholar, DeVito, I think it was about 19 when he won. Nakajima would be in the 20s. He and Crouchy had these iconic battles, later memorialized in song by the Bard of Brooklyn, the great Amos Wengler. Uh, talk about that era and... Did you ever imagine then, George, when we were jammed into Schweikert Alley, a couple hundred people, always lots of press, um, but did you have any sense then what this would become over time? Absolutely not. And there was no plan, right? There was no business plan. There was no sort of, we could, hey, this might be a cultural phenomenon that we could develop and exploit. None of that. We just did it like for fun. And um, so in the early days, when I first went to the contest in 1988. The contest was won by a gentleman named Jay Green, who was an out of work taxi driver, which is unusual because if you notice on the back of most taxis, it says, if you want a job, just call this number. So nonetheless, he was out of work. He ate 13 hot dogs and buns to win the world championship. And, and that was, I think, a low point in the modern era of eating. Um, he, Joey Chestnut can eat 15 hot dogs in one minute. Um, but um, uh, then it moved, as you said, to um, Frank Hollywood De La Rosa, uh, who, you know, uh, Mike DeVito, that was that early 90s era. Frank Hollywood De La Rosa, you may remember the rallying cry, uh, 21 and 91. It's like uh, Tipper Canoe and Tyler Two or whatever it was. It was a 
it, it spread across the nation, 21 and 91. He, that was a big number. Um, and um, Mike DeVito was in that low 20s. Ed Crotchy came, Ed was 23, 24. Hirofumi Nakajima came, as you said, in 95, beat him with 24 and a half-ish, right? He beat tiny Japanese guy, beat this big American, you know, Bluto type. And that was, that was, you know, sort of captivated the media. We made a big deal out of that. It was, it was, it was very powerful. Um, and then what happened then, and this is a matter of your level of cynicism, a cynic would say that my buddy, Kevin Pierce, um, bought a weight belt and a buckle and jewels at Pearl Paint on Canal Street and created the mustard belt. Um, someone who honors history would say that we were able to get the belt back from Japan. And what happened was the belt arrived back in America and I, we did a press story for the Post, Gersh Kunstman wrote it. And it was the belt is finally back from Japan because it had been lost for two decades in Japan and no one knew where it was, we had lost it. But then it was returned. And then when that story came out, it went very big, right? Big post story, but then it was picked up worldwide. The belt is back, all this kind of stuff. Then the Japanese heard that the belt was back in America that they had won and they sent three eaters over to get it and they got the belt back, right? So the belt actually went back to Japan. So there were a lot of stunts like that that we did, right? And, um, and that moved, Ed the Animal was a, a champion and we started the weigh-in and then Mayor Giuliani said, I wanna host the weigh-in and then we started doing the weigh-in with the mayor through de Blasio who declined to do it um, and, um, uh, you know, so there were all kinds of stunts that happened. And then we moved into what I would call the, you know, the, the, the pre-Kobayashi era was the rivalry between Japan and the U.S. And that we got a lot of press. Uh, Kazutoyo Arai, um, Takako Akasaka, who is a female eater. And, um, and they were all in the mid-20s. Everyone was in the mid-20s. Um, Steve Kiner, um, he it was said that he jumped the bun. We got a lot of press out of that when, when he um, supposedly started early on the contest and stuff like that. Anyway, and then of course, 2001, Takiro Kobayashi came over with the Japanese team and then you know, changed, you know, changed the sport. Now, we were there in Coney Island that July 4th, and I can only equate it to those who saw Will Chamberlain score 100 points in a single game. In one year, the number jumped from, you know, right around 24 to 50. No one had ever seen anything like that. And for the better part of the next decade, Kobayashi became a cultural phenomenon. Along that pathway, the IFOCE is born, Major League Eating is born, and the sport absolutely takes off, guided by you and Rich and your partner, Dave Bear. Talk about remembrances of that early era, and you were on stage calling it, watching it when Kobayashi ate 50 hot dogs and buns. Take us back to that incredible moment in sports history. Well, he... 
was just a young boy. He was 23. Um, and no one, there were rumors that he potentially could eat 35 hot dogs. And I was just like, no way. I mean, you know, absolutely not. And then what happened was we had, I think, 30, we have uh, counting sheets, you know, in each, to make it easy, you, you, you tear off a number. It literally says one, two, three, right? And, you know, which might be a moronic way to do it. But anyway, that's how we did it and make it super easy for the judges. Um, we only had it up to 30. And so he plowed through 30 really early in the contest. And I was just going, I couldn't believe it. And then I literally went up to his translator and said, you know, you should tell him to stop. I mean, no one can eat that many hot dogs. And he went on and ate 50, right? It was, it was absolutely monumental. And without any question that captivated the media's attention and catapulted the, the, the focus of, of the contest. So the, there was a lot of media recognition of the contest prior to that, but that it had that fertile soil and then it just blew up. And then he became quite a star and he has a lot of star quality, a lot of, he has a lot of star power, just personal presence um, and, and very telegenic. Um, and um, so that was 2001. And then we had already, prior to his arrival, we had secured a documentary, um, not a doc, we had secured a documentary, but also a two hour Fox special called The Glutton Bowl. And that came because we were, I was trying to sell these stories, um, you know, nationwide. And I got the LA Times to do a story on competitive eating, right? These guys out on the circuit, following their dream, the blue highways of America, the last sort of, you know, frontier. They, they did it and for some reason it just went big. They put it on the front page and then that whole world learned about the contest which they previously really hadn't been focused on. So we got a documentary with Tom Beers who did Monster Garage and Ice Road Truckers and really a brilliant guy and a really nice guy. And then this other guy, Bruce Nash did this thing. Anyway, by the time Kobayashi came, he was then in the glutton bowl and there was a lot of TV stuff going on. And then he competed against a bear um, in a man versus animal uh, production. And there, it, it sort of the whole thing was moving forward into a greater level of consciousness and a greater level of national recognition. Kobe! And now introducing to my right, his opponent, the beast. He descends from Kodiak Island, Alaska. Fully erect, this beast stands over eight feet tall and weighs in tonight at 1,089 pounds. He can digest over 60 pounds of food in a 24 hour period. He possesses the ultimate appetite for destruction. Meet the beast, the Alaska. Cruncher! 
Now again, the contest begins as soon as the bear eats the first hot dog. And it is underway. There we go. There we go. And there's Kobayashi using his technique. He breaks them in half, and he puts as many as he can as well. Well, the bear is going for it as well. Look at that, Mike. No hands for the bear. And the annual on July 4th, which sits alongside the Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, you know, the Oscars in, in film as a seminal moment in America every year and is truly the epicenter of American patriotism every July 4th at high noon, the crowd starts to grow. We worked with you, you were very generous in your remarks earlier, to move the contest and build a proper stage, start to create a real infrastructure. The crowd grows year after year, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, and television comes into the picture. Talk about the explosive growth of what happens every July 4th in Coney Island. Right, so you're, you're quite right. We were in Schweikert Alley and then you brought us over onto the Stillwell Avenue side. And I had seen some photos, I had forgotten because it was such a big crowd to me then, but I saw some photos and it was a big crowd, but it was just not a big, big crowd. And um, that first year we were on the Stillwell Avenue side and then it grew and it grew and it grew and it became a thing that people love to do. And and, you know, when I first started doing it, Max Rosie, who used to do it in 88, you know, in 89, when, when I was there in 90, he didn't, no one provided commentary or hosting, but it was kind of deadly just watching people eat and you just sort of sitting there for, for at that juncture it was 12 minutes. Um, now it's 10. But um, so the, the, I began, I think the first person I ever introduced was, Ed the Animal Crotchy, and I did it to the Sweet Emotion, right? That 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 the beginning of Sweet Emotion, um, and um, by Aerosmith. And um, but that the presentation, the introductions grew, the pageantry grew, um, and 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 the TV grew, and then CNN became very interested in it, um, and would come and kind of go live as as the two thousands went on. ESPN came um, in the first year they came. We couldn't do it because we had a, an unapproved um, betting sponsor. So we had a secondary sponsor that was, a, that was a, a, an online betting platform that wasn't you know, an acceptable one. And then they, so they came the next year, but it, it grew and grew. And, and um, the, the ESPN elevated it, obviously having you guys involved and being able to manage all the sound and the, the production, which wasn't something we had done, was very helpful. And ESPN brought a huge level of credibility and fun to it. Um, and um, so, so that's what that's how I would characterize those years, the Kobayashi years, which would be 2001, two, three, four, and five. And, and that's when his star was shining. Um, and then in 2006, Joey Chestnut, arrived, a rookie out of the asparagus circuit. And he um, was said to be able to eat 32 to 35-ish hot dogs. That was what we expected. That's what, that's what the word on the street was. But in 2006, he was neck and neck with Kobayashi, like just very, very close. And in fact, a bad, someone say a bad call, um, I support our call 100%. But 
Kobayashi, in his hurry to eat, actually spit up, right? And that would, you know, um, it's we don't use a photo finish. We don't go to the refs, you know, we don't go to the video. But had you, um, most people think he would have been disqualified. Um, but he won in 2006 and Joey did not. And there's a famous photo of like Joey pointing and pat, everybody pointing at Kobayashi going like, what, you know? Um, but nonetheless, he won in 2006. So he won 2001 through 2006. And then of course, the next year was really, that set up an amazing uh, rematch between Joey and, and Kobayashi. And George, we're now in 2021. The annual Nathan's Famous Fourth of July hot dog contest is a major part of American popular culture, thanks to what you and Rich have done. All these years later, when you bring up the fourth, people still gravitate to Kobayashi's name. He has not competed in, it's about 15 years. Well, was, it, was it just that incredible charisma that has carried him forward all these years later. I mean, people are not talking about Michael Jordan 15 years later the same way. They're not talking about Larry Bird and Magic Johnson or, you know, even going back further, Willie Mays. And, you know, when their time passed, you know, it passed. All these years later, Kobayashi's prominence in popular culture remains almost undiminished. Yeah, there's no doubt. His his star quality, his star power, his watchability, or I, I, maybe there's like, you'd know this, I wouldn't, like sort of a Q rating kind of thing. It's just through the charts. And, and part of that is he had enormous personal style. He was physically very dynamic. When he came first, he was very thin and slender, but he, he became a bodybuilder of sorts and he became very, very fit. Um, he was a handsome, he's a handsome guy. Um, and... Um, so people, people adored him, but more than that, he would slam the table and he would, he would do all kinds of theatrical stuff. It was very, very powerful. And, but I think also the mystique of him being from Japan, right? And speaking Japanese and not speaking English um, added to it, right? Like, you know, you have to be very careful nowadays and I don't think it's quite the same thing, but it was almost like, you know, more like, oh, he's from the Orient. You know, he's, there's some, some sort of mystical, um, you know, um, you know, just exotic, if you could say, right? He, he was somewhat exotic. Um, and as a result, he has always remained in people's minds as a, an amazing champion. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and obviously the, does no longer compete and that's a great loss for the sport. And we've asked him, of course, many times to compete um, again. So let's talk a little bit about you, George Shea and talk about your main roots. And what was it, I know you come from a, a large family, what was it about growing up in the relatively serene setting of Maine, you then come to New York and go to Columbia, uh, but what was it there that you draw upon now? You, your ability to put words together on stage on the fourth and throughout the year uh, as you do for Major League Eating, is put you in the same category as a John Stewart, as a uh, a Chris Rock when he was hosting the Oscars, 
you know, people that have an incredible way of putting words, sentences, phrases, paragraphs together. Go back to Maine in those early days. What was it that shaped you then that we now and the world get to enjoy every year on the 4th and throughout the year? What a valiant effort. Kobayashi is giving it here. He's still behind, but just by a fraction of a dog. Unbelievable. Will Chestnut go home the victor? This crowd will erupt if the mustard yellow belt gets risen above his head. Just under two minutes to go, and we send you down to Jimmy in the spray zone. Hey, Paul, Joey Chestnut knows exactly where Kobayashi is as he's eating those hot dogs. He has one eye on Kobayashi's count. Kobayashi focused on his interpreter, depending on him to tell him where Joey Chestnut is. It's a cheek-to-cheek, jaw-to-jaw finish, guys. Less than half a dog difference between Chestnut and Kobayashi now. Well, it will. It may go down to the judges if it stays this tight. Now, we have the best judges from Major League Eating. In fact, every eater has two counters to keep an eye on these totals. There's that much at stake. Heinz Ketchup is here. Nathan's Famous sponsoring this for the 92nd year. $20,000 on the line and worldwide celebrity acclaim just 1 minute 16 seconds away. Well, Chestnut's remaining about three-quarters of a dog ahead as we move toward the last minute of competition. Twelve minutes. They're approaching the record now. Is Chestnut going to break the world record as Kobayashi goes in front? Here comes Chestnut. Chestnut closes on him. Joey has broken his own record, and, and Kobayashi's right there with him. We never would have expected this. This is going to be a 61. close call. Chestnut comes back into the lead. Kobayashi falls to second. They're both now well oh, over the Kobayashi record. pausing now. Kobayashi seconds. pausing now. 39 seconds remain. This would be the greatest moment in the history of American sports if Chestnut can bring the belt home to Coney Island. It's been gone for nine years. Chestnut scores up to 62. Kobayashi at 61. 20 seconds to go. Oh, come on, Joey now. The fans want you. Kobayashi brought it today. Unbelievable valor from this man. And now here is the countdown to the championship. It's neck and neck. That could no. have been a DQ. That's a Kobayashi reversal within the framework of the competition. I'm afraid the judges are going to call that. That is up to the judges. We have two judges, and that, Paul, is the spray zone. Unbelievable valor from that man right there, Joey Chestnut. He may indeed have changed the course of this nation, righted the course <laughs> of our nation. Chestnut is a true American hero. Well, First of all, you're very generous. But the 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 I think that when I was young in Maine, I was an avid reader, and I read a ton of sci-fi. Right? I did not read. I read plenty of good books too, but I read a ton of sci-fi. And um, you know what you learn in sci-fi are that there are. And I did not learn this in a conscious way, but I I had learned it subconsciously, and I have I've since come to a really clear understanding of the power of this, but there are certain narrative tropes that we use over and over and over again, right? I mean, you go back to Beowulf, right? You know, you go to the the great literature of our time, and certainly it's exploited in science fiction, which is the, the origin myth, right? You see this in Harry Potter, right? And you see it in everything, right? The, the one 
this or the one Neo in the matrix who doesn't know he's the one, but he finds he's the one, the prophecy, the one will come. Yeah. So there are all kinds of things like that in books that I was reading at that age that always captivated me and, and that I thought was powerful. Um, and then in addition to that, I thought they were kind of silly in a way because you can begin to see them all happening again and again and again, right? So that is the, the root of, of all of the, the kind of language that I'm doing now. However, what happened was in college and in high school and in college and post-college, I wanted to be a fiction writer and I did a lot of work on say, that yeah. front. Um, and um, so the, the, I had spent a lot of time working on just language and then did not become a fiction writer, um, clearly. And, but then that was for me an outlet. So when I would do the introductions, I would begin doing things that were sort of like little snippets of that kind of thing. And if you, you know, my, I'm very proud of that, I sort of introduce all the eaters individually as they come up. And then and I talk often about this with Sam Barkley on, on our team and Rich does the same thing. But we, you know, you use, or at least I use a balance, right? There's the, there's the sort of straight intro, which is just sort of just get it out of the way. There's an epic intro, like a, you know, a, a sort of a, a grand intro. There's um, the, the, always there's someone who could be an evil person, like pure evil. There is the birth myth or origin myth. There are, you know, some sort of, then there's the Joey Chestnut epic, you know, this, this sort of like he is, you know, beyond everything. And, and so, you know, you learn all of these things that actually ring the emotional bell. And so that all of that comes from this sort of, but as I've learned this, I've learned what people react to and what they don't and how they react and when they react. Because we, you know, we do typically about 50 something contests a year. And especially in the early years, I did them all and then would do until recently up to, 20 plus events a year, right? And then you learn, and these are small contests and there are few people or there's a lot of people, but you learn what people react to, right? It would be like being a comedian out on, you know, doing a circuit and doing all the clubs and you learn real quick what works and doesn't work and intonations that will deliver, right? And um, so all of that sort of came together and that is how now I put a lot of thought into it, like what, what would I say? I'm working on Joey's introduction for the fourth right now. You know, what, what is it that you say and you only have X number of seconds? So how do you get from zero to 60? You know what that means, Brooklyn. Do you know what it means? <laughs> only moments from her womb. And before she even placed him to her breast, his mother held him close and whispered in his ear. She said, you are of my flesh, but you are not mine own. Fate is your father, and you belong to the people, for you shall lead the army of the free. And she held him high, and the finger of power that destroys the unworthy descended. And it touched him on the forehead, and it anointed him the champion of the world of now and of always, of the 4th of July, of the nation, of the free under God. The seven-time Nathan's famous champion of the world, 
And those moments captured, many of them archived on YouTube, are pure magic. And having watched you do this now for you know, well over 25 years, I know how much you prepare, how hard you work to do it, how seriously you take it, how you agonize over it. Take us behind the curtain. You have some notes and some big cue cards, but a lot of this you're just doing right from, you know, you're, it's not off the cuff because it's a tremendous amount of preparation, but you, there's no prompter. You're, you're on stage. You've got a huge live audience. You've got a global television audience, an ESPN show that routinely gets a higher rating than Wimbledon or in a World Cup year. I mean, the viewership is off the charts. Talk about how you put it together and how do you do it, George? Well, the, the thing there is that, um, so when, when I do it, I memorize the introductions, but then I have a cue card to give me the order of the eaters, right? So I don't want to ever get lost, right? So it says, uh, you know, uh, Adrian Morgan, you know, and the first word of his introduction, that kind of thing. And then I go and then, but I memorize all of them. And that's why I really have to get going for the fourth this year, which is only a couple of weeks away. And, and I need to get everything finalized and stuff. But, you know, so I write all of these in advance. And then with Badlands Booker, in a, really an affront to all musicians and performers everywhere, I rap with Eric Badlands Booker, who's a rapper. And, you know, we did a rap this year and we always do a rap. And, um, and I write that as well. And then he, you know, it's, it's his music and he produces it and stuff like that. But so all of that has to get done and then, you know, sort of get ready for that. But I practice endlessly. One thing I learned, and I've learned this repeatedly, every time I say, I'll just wing it, it doesn't work or it doesn't work for me, right? A lot of the things you say on stage when you're messing around with the crowd, that's off the cuff, right? And I have a lot of set pieces that I've just done for 30 years. So, you know, um, you know, these things will come to your mind if, you know, you're just up there and you haven't said it for 14 years, but it works, you know what I'm saying? So you're sort of just doing stuff. But when I do the introductions and stuff like that, there's 10 minutes that ESPN gives you. You're scheduled for 10 minutes, you know, that's it. So you have to do 18 people, 10 minutes. Joey Chestnut is a minute and 10 seconds. So, you know, you, you got to figure that out. You can't miss, right? So I prepare... Uh, aggressively and and then you can relax maybe and sort of deliver and then what happens is after you prep for the fourth of july or after i do the contests that i do after that are much easier no pressure go up to buffalo for the chicken wing eating championship on labor day um, which is really fun you're delivering essentially the same intros you've learned them two months earlier so now you have no pressure and you're just fooling around and it's pure glory there's a lot of tension on the fourth um, but that's, that's how I do it. I have learned that, especially with public speaking, and really for anything, for a meeting, if you want to do well at a meeting, you should prepare, and you should over-prepare. That's just my opinion. I don't always do it, but when I don't do it, I regret it. Yeah, well, it sure pays off every year live in, in Coney Island. George, let's talk about the rise of the female competitors. Uh, they have their own contests, tremendous champions, looking at Sonia, looking at Mickey, uh, talk about the rise of the female competitive eaters. Well, it's official now. 
Sonia Thomas, the Black Widow, a new world record by about 10%. 45 dogs is once again the champion, Renee. Unbelievable, Sonia. 45 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Your personal goal, the best. New world record, and you're the two-time defending champ. Yeah, I'm so happy, and then um, I want to celebrate uh, our Americans today, and happy July 4. Yes, happy so July there 4. were almost no competitive eaters who were females in the early days. With that said, the 1978 champion was a woman named Brigitte Felden from Germany, with whom I've connected, uh, and I never knew her then. Um, in, in recently, like, because I was going to see if she'd like to come back. She's she'd be about my age, a little a little older. Um, but there were very few women, and then um, we began to get a few women here and there. Um, and the first woman that really, in my mind, captivated the attention of the media and the and the audience was Sonia Thomas. Um, now there have been lots of women, and certainly Mickey now. Um, and, and many women now, but Sonia Thomas was really, so this goes to the, why was, why did Kobayashi connect? Why? Well, a lot of reasons, star power, et cetera, but he was exotic and he fit this, he fit a narrative that here's this guy, he's some mystical guy and he comes in and he's from a foreign land and, you know, and, and it, and it works with this narrative, right? That's why Hirofumi Nakajima beating this big, huge Ed Crotchy, that's why that worked. And Sonia Thomas was the same exact thing, 105 pounds. She um, originally from, from South Korea, but an American citizen. Um, and, you know, she had this exotic nature and, you know, beautiful woman, the big, uh, long black ponytail. And, and she adopted the nickname, the Black Widow, which at the time I was like, you can't do this. There's a Black Widow poker player who's a female and I believe Asian. And I was going, you just, you just can't do that. You, you'll never own that moniker. Um, but actually she, she turned out to be the Black Widow, turned out to be Sonia. And she really, she really took that over. Um, she was a great eater. I think her personal best is 40 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. Um, she loved the sport and, and, um, and competed all over the nation. Um, and she really opened that up. And we had a lot of uh, women compete there after the, the greatest eater, female eater now in the world is Mickey Sudo, who will not be competing this year. Eight victories, I believe, on the fourth for her. She will not be competing this year because she's expecting a child with Nick Wary, who's the number six ranked eater in the world, um, himself a, a phenom. And I believe their child uh, will be the greatest eater of all time, the one eater. Uh, because genetically, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm, I, I haven't studied much science, but it, this, it has to be. Uh, listen, I, I think you, you, you have to be right about that. So let's also talk a little bit about the media phenomenon. You talked about CNN. I remember Jeannie Most would do great features year after year on the 4th. Um, when we started uh, building the stage every year, part of the conversation for the production and interfacing with ESPN would be about the size of the media platform. And as I've shared with friends and talking about what you and Rich do, uh, I was very lucky early in my career in sports. I had a great mentor, 
sort of a Morty Matz, Max Rosie-like character for me, a guy named Don Smith. And Don was VP of the Giants in the 60s and 70s and ran the first Super Bowls for the NFL, all PR for Commissioner Burt Bell, when there was just a championship before there was a Super Bowl, and then in the Roselle and part of the Tagliabue era. And Don would take me to the Super Bowl. And back then, I don't know how Roger Goodell does it, but back then the commissioner would only speak once during the week. And it would be the commissioner's state of the NFL address on the Friday before the Super Bowl on a Sunday. And as you can imagine, that was very well attended by the media. Having seen a number of those and having seen well over 25 Fourth of July's on the corner of Surf and Stillwell, I can say unequivocally that there is more media in Coney Island than there is at the Super Bowl. Talk about the rise of the Fourth as a media phenomenon and a global media phenomenon. Right. So, and it, 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 it happened slowly and then jumped with Kobayashi and then has continued to rise until now it's sort of more of a tradition. But the, I, I, have to, I have to say this so strongly that this was never done with a media plan. It was never done. All we did was what we thought was funny, right? So, you know, we just thought what would be funny and we would do it, right? So once, um, I thought it would be funny if we did a scholarly journal article and then have it rejected by like elite media. And then, you know, we would complain that it was rejected, right? So we did that, right? We wrote a scholarly journal article. I authored it with Ed Crouchy and it was the belt of fat theory. And the belt of fat theory is that if you're thin, you're actually in a better position to eat than if you are fat because your, your, your adipose tissue acts as a restrictive belt on the expansion of your stomach. So we wrote up a journal article. We include, I mean, it was a real thing. I included a, an addenda um, and it was actually an addendum, I believe, but um, uh, it was a picture of a stomach and it just said stomach. And um, uh, we submitted it to the New England Journal of Medicine. And I recently, just recently found the rejection letter we, it was back in the day when you got a letter, we submitted it and we got a letter back. Thank you. We will not be publishing your article. Boom, right to Jeannie Mose at CNN. <laughs> they won't, I mean, what kind of publication? It's so, you know, this is a, the sport of the people and it's blah, blah, blah. We got a great piece, right? Got tons of press. And then three years later, independent of that, science, uh, Science, not Scientific American, but uh, I'm, I'm spacing the name. Anyway, a scientific publication, Popular, Popular Mechanics, sorry. Popular Mechanics wrote an article exploring the exact same subject without knowledge that we had done this, the belt of fat theory. They literally, they wrote a whole story on it um, uh, related to competitive eating. But we would do one time, Richard, I have to say, be really careful to say that Richard Shea is my brother and, and we've been working on this together um, with my, our partner, Dave Baer. And they're both much better business people than I am. Um, and Rich is much funnier and more clever than I. Um, but he, you know, we did all this together. One time, Rich just got it in his head that the hamburger we were gonna eat, it was a massive hamburger, it was a hamburger. It's a hamburger, it's bigger than David Hasselhoff's head. 
some reason he just thought that that was a great, so that really took off like a hamburger bigger than David Hasselhoff's head. And then, you know, the, the starting with the belt and then on and on and on, and we would do these things. And then Kobayashi had, had a wisdom tooth extracted and he was having pain in his jaw. So then we put out a big thing, Kobayashi won't be competing, jawthritis. He has jawthritis. And then we brought him to the IFOCE, the, the MLE dentist, Dr. Stephen Timpanic. Uh, and he, he, once again, CNN, and he examined him and all this media. And yes, he has jawthritis, but he made it. He made it to the event. Um, and uh, so it was just stunt after stunt, but it wasn't, we used to get, we used to get, and we don't right now, but we used to get like two or three national AP wires going out stories like for this or that or the other thing because we would just do funny stuff and um that is what really did it it was just this this thing and one well i, I could go on but it, you sort of get lost in the details but the but the issue is we would say what would be funny this would be funny we should do this we would do it and it's harder to do that when you're really established when you're younger, you just go, yeah, I don't care if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'm not worried about this or worried about that. You, you, as you get more and more corporate, you play more and more defense, which I really hate. I much prefer to play offense. Well, I think you are still playing offense. And, and what will happen on July 4th this year will be uh, just tremendous and really is probably the greatest symbol that America is back. I'm glad you mentioned Rich and Dave. I think Rich, who is on ESPN on the broadcast every year, does a brilliant, brilliant job. And what all three of you have done, steering forward with Major League Eating, uh, is an incredible business entrepreneurial story, as well as it is uh, uh, a human interest and a part of popular culture story. Let's spend a few minutes and talk about the rise of Joey Chestnut. Not only the rise, but the reign. People talk about the great champions. Bill Russell won 11 championships. Michael Jordan memorialized recently in the last dance, won six. Ali was a three-time champion. They talk about the reigns of others in sport. Joey Chestnut, is it 13, George? 13. Talk about Joey the rise, the rain, and what we can expect to see this year in Coney Island on July 4th. In the full emptiness of failure, when we are broken and beaten and undone, there is still a path forward, a beacon of certainty, a citadel of light over a silent sea. For he stands as he always has, as resolved, as the promise of a nation. Always onward, always forward. Carry the weight, advance the cause, never submit. Until the earth is dust and stone, until the last echo of the dry thunder of time, he will fight on. For he is the Nathan's famous 4th of July champion of the world. And the rock! on which he stands is not a rock. It is the United States of America. 
Joey Chestnut! So, Joey is the greatest champion ever. And he is more than a champion. He is, um, he is, uh, you know, an American icon. He is um, freedom itself, right? He has, he has taken on a role where his, he is inextricable from the 4th of July and from the concept of American resolve and exceptionalism. So he has taken on a, a role and it, and it is really powerful. So he came, as I mentioned, out of um, San Jose, California, um, and maybe back then Vallejo, but he was, um, he, he came and no one thought Kobayashi could ever be beaten, ever. No one thought it couldn't happen, couldn't be done. Um, and then I mentioned 2006. And then in 2007, um, Joey beat him. He beat him. And it was, it rocked the world, right? And I was later criticized for taking the flag, getting on the eating table and yelling tears of joy in Coney Island because the belt was back on American soil. Um, because, you know, I shouldn't be so, uh, you know, whatever, pro-America. Um, but I was, and I, I won't apologize for that. And then Kobayashi and Joey went at it again in 2008. Um, and Joey beat Kobayashi in overtime, which was extremely dramatic. They had a dead tie in regulation, and Joey beat him in overtime. And then again... In 2009, when Joey set a new world record, I forget the exact number. Remember that in those days, it was 12 minutes. And Kobayashi ate 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes. And then he and Joey were in that 60 range in 12 minutes. The, the year following, I believe it was, it dropped to 10 minutes. And Joey ate 53 or 54 in 10 minutes, Joey now eats 75, right? So 75 hot dogs when he and Kobayashi were eating 60 hot dogs in 12, right? So really a monumental delta. Um, and, um, but he, he just became an American champion like none other. And then we had a contract dispute with Kobayashi. Kobayashi did not want to be restricted from competing against major league eating. He wanted to be able to go to any contest he wanted or have his own contests and compete directly against us, et cetera, and all these issues. And we said, you are welcome to do that. You have the freedom to do that, but you don't, you wouldn't come to our contest. We're not gonna make you the champion of the world and then have you go out and do a hot dog contest with a rival brand the next day or whatever, you know, whatever it would have been. So um, regardless, there were numerous elements to the dispute, but he did not compete in 2010. And, and thereafter, he did not compete. So Joey has since, you know, risen to such a stature. I, I don't believe, Kobayashi was a great, fantastic eater and fantastic performer and, and charismatic but I don't believe he could eat 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. I just don't believe it. Um, and um, uh, the year that Joey competed in 2010, 
Kobayashi came to the contest, stormed the stage, and was arrested. Um, and that was, you know, you can imagine how uh, powerful that was. And, you know, we got a full day, day and a half of additional press out of that. But it was a human tragedy in the sense of like, why did this have to happen? But it was, it, it was enormous, enormous media coverage of that. Thereafter, Kobayashi would hold contests against us on the 4th of July, um, and he would compete against Joey, Ash, Joey with, on ESPN, and Joey would win. But, you know, the whole thing would devolve, you know, became sort of a farce. And it was a very sad way for that to end. Um, we have many, many times invited Kobayashi back. Um, he has declined. He has a personal animus to me um, because partially I learned in a documentary that was since made, because I chanted USA on upon Joey's victory, he felt that that was anti-Japanese, uh, and uh, and and it's articulated in an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary uh, in a much more comprehensive way. But effectively, that was his complaint, and he um, has refused to come back ever ever. Oh, well, I know with certainty how gracious you have been in trying to invite him to come back. And I think you're right. I think he knows he can't beat Joey. Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I am certain that he could not beat Joey. And I think that that was clear in the three matches that he had. But, but he claims that that is not the case. He claims it's because, you know, these kind of arcane um, side issues. Nonetheless, it is, it, it, is, it is truly unfortunate that that rivalry has not been allowed to continue. Whether or not it's Kobayashi taking his ball and saying, I'm going home or what, you know, which he has the right to do um, fully. Um, but that's, that's a shame. However, Joey has had competition, right? Carmen Sincotti, um, 864, hot dogs and buns against Joey's 74. So he was, you know, that is still a 10 dog difference, but nonetheless, a really amazing performance. Matt Stoney beat Joey Chestnut in 2015. Um, and Jeffrey Esper has beaten Joey, I think nine times in the last year or so. I mean, uh, pre-COVID. Um, and, uh, you know, so Joey- in, in, uh, it Beat him in other disciplines. Yes, not in the 4th of July. Right. So, so um, we have held a number of Draft Kings contests during the past year, and we had three of them. And Joey was beaten in all three, once by Jeffrey Esper and twice by Matt Stoney. And so Joey, you know, has to really elevate his game for the 4th, which he does. And these guys elevate their game, but they don't elevate it quite as much as Joey. So... The fourth is coming up. It's the first in two years that will be on the scale or close to the scale of what we are used to. Talk about the plan this year in the ballpark in Coney Island. It's a little different. We're not on the corner of Surf and Stillwell. We're right down the street, still on Surf. Uh, but talk about the plan for July 4th this year. And it's got to be exciting for you to be back on stage, back with the crowd. They feed off you. You feed off them. What can America look forward to seeing on July 4th? I, I think it's going to be dynamite. I think it's going to be pure dynamite because 
we are ready as a country for some fun. Um, it's summer. I mean, the summer vibe on any regular year just brings this, I don't know, just energy and everything to everything. It's going to be two or three times that this year. So we will be in a minor league ballpark, Maimonides Park, out in Coney Island where the Cyclones Ball Club plays. Um, 7,000 um, seat stadium. I think that we, given the, the structure of the stage, um, which you know so much about, Matt, as we've as we've done this, but the the um, the we'll probably have five plus thousand fans or five thousand fans, and they will be concentrated in you know in this area. It's going to the energy will be just incredible. Um, we've got a massive stage, a massive production. Um, Badlands Booker will be um, competing against the number two chugger in the world's first world chugging championship. Uh, Badlands is a, a, an amazing chugger, 3 million followers on YouTube at Badlands Chugs. And um, so we're excited about that. But the big moment for me, first of all, I, I get up with Badlands. We have a lot of fun. I mess around with the crowd. But for me, the, the, the 10 minutes of the introductions of the eaters and then through the contest until I hold up the hand of the winner, whoever that is, um, those are moments for me, you know, like, you know, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, the rock on which he stands is not a rock. It is the United States of America. You know, look on his works, ye mighty and despair, for he has surpassed the kings of Egypt, right? It's, it's time, to, it's go time. It's go time time. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And if we get a beautiful day, then it's just all bets are off because then it's just, it's explosive. It's so fun. If it's rainy, it's definitely fun. It's a lot of fun. But if it's sunny on the 4th of July, it's just, it's incomparable. It is indeed. Uh, so George, just to wrap, there are so many characters that you and Rich have come across uh, over the years. Uh, as this has grown, characters like the great Crazy Legs Conti, eaters from an earlier era like Ed Cookie Jarvis and Don Moses Lehrman and The Locust, so many others. Are there moments when you look back and you reflect upon the contest beyond Kobayashi and Joey and some of the other eaters that you mentioned, Pat Bertoletti, another great eater? that you remember particularly fondly or that hold a special place in your heart? That's an interesting, Ed Crotchy and I went to Japan to do an eating contest series um, for a TV show. And Ed was an incredibly, is an incredibly sweet human being, a lovely guy. Um, and um, Kid Carrie DeGrosa of Las Vegas, Nevada, a really sweet and lovely guy. and. Um, you know, but they all, right, you, you mentioned Cookie Jarvis. I mean, there's so many, I, I wouldn't even try to mention them all. They're so nice, but, uh, and so many, and we've had such a good time, you know, but, but I just, I, when I think of all the people who are really, really sweet people, you know, Ed and, Ed and uh, Kid Carey come to mind, but, you know, being a Joey Chestnut is a great guy. I mean, you know, um, you know, some of the eaters, some of the stars, you know, they're, they're playing a star role. That's not Joey Chestnut, right? Joey Chestnut's a great guy and, and really nice. Um, but, you know, some of the media stuff, so when, and I, and I won't go on too long, but 
we, we, we decided to just do, we'll just do this weigh-in ceremony, get an extra day of press. So we did it and then the next year we're doing it and Giuliani says, can I host it? Well, that was a really exciting moment. It really was to do that with, with Giuliani and then with Bloomberg, you know, whom I respect enormously. Um, and, you know, the first Today Show, my friend from college, Jonathan Wald was the executive producer, really brilliant guy. And a, and a guy, you want to talk about a guy who understands culture. Like this guy, with, without, without equal, understands culture. And he brought us on to the Today Show and we did a really long Today Show segment with, with uh, Katie Couric and Matt Lauer and, every, and, and everybody. And it was, it was, for me, those are moments that were just electric and I, and I think back on them. So, you know, there, there's a, a lot of really positive stuff that's, that's come out of it. And the partnership with Nathan's, which is second to none. I will say this, I was talking about being in a, in a corporate world and playing defense versus offense. Nathan's has always just said, we go, you know what we think would be funny? We're gonna build a massive slingshot. We're gonna go up to the roof and we're gonna slingshot t-shirts into the audience. And they go, okay, you know, like that sounds good. Now you couldn't do that now because of all the regulations, but they were just like, we think this would be funny. Okay, that sounds good. You know, that, that ability to embrace a, a kind of a wild west kind of promotion, right? It's competitive eating. And the, the ability to say, okay, this might be a little bit crazy, but we're going to get a really good ride on it. And to be a partner that way, it's really, that has been a key to the success. Tremendous. So we've got a way in this year. Let's wrap by talking about what will happen at Hudson Yards on July 1st. So really a huge honor to be at Hudson Yards because it's such a it's such an amazing uh, destination in New York City. You know, we've done it at the Empire State Building. We've done it all around, but we're, we're really excited to do it at Hudson Yards. We will do this directly in, I think they call it the backyard and um, this, this concourse area, this central open area and um, directly in front of the vessel, which anyone who doesn't know that it's this really spectacular, um, it's really just a destination and a, you, you, you can walk up it, it's an architectural um, item that's really dynamite. Um, but literally Joey Chestnut will stand in front of the vessel and Joey Chestnut to me is the vessel of our strength, the vessel of our ideals, the vessel of our freedom. And to have Joey Chestnut in front of the vessel right there in this new city that they've created, this new neighborhood, and it really is a neighborhood. Um, it's, it's just gonna be spectacular. So I'm really looking forward to that as much as I have to any of the other weigh-ins we've ever done. Fantastic. Well, George, this has been such a joy to talk to you and to give America a little look behind the curtain of what's gone on in the past, what will happen uh, at the weigh-in on the first and in Coney Island on the fourth. And I wanna thank you and Rich. You know, It was our partnership and friendship with you that gave Stillwell Partners its name. That's right. Uh, and it has been a joy to get to work uh, to help you make a little bit of magic every year. Uh, and it's something we look forward to. And it is uh, baked into the DNA uh, of our company and Lance and I from the bottom of our hearts. We appreciate you. We, uh, we love you guys. And we can't wait to be with you once again in Coney Island.
Well, that that is exactly my sentiment, and I and I have to say that that the the creativity and additions that you guys have added to the whole show, and someone who I talk about, someone who appreciates the show, you like you you and I just have a very similar sensibility, and that of course has been part of the the ability to create it all. But the for me, the greatest moment of the year is when I go up in the riser to give the sermon, the opening sermon, you know, um, they say competitive eating is the battleground upon which God and Lucifer wage war for men's souls as I'm rising in the crowd. That is a Matt Schechner, that is 100% Matt Schechner, as are so many of the other ideas that we've implemented, which by the way, I completely in my own mind go, I'm brilliant. I'm, I'm like, that was a brilliant idea that I had on the, on the riser, uh, but it was your idea and, um, uh, and, and so many others. So, so you, you know, you, you, all of the work that you do creating these cultural moments is, is very much appreciated. Well, it, it's a, it's a labor of love and, and a pure joy and, uh, and to be able to participate in something that sits alongside the Kentucky Derby and the Super Bowl and the World Series and the Oscars and Wimbledon and, and all the other great cultural phenomena events that happen around the world right in Brooklyn uh, is uh, one of the greatest joys of our lives. So we'll see you on the 4th in Coney. George Shea, truly a great mind and an absolute privilege having you on the show. Thank you for having me.